Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's December 7th, 2018, a day that will live in infamy. It, it is amazing. There are some dates that just uh, always stick in the historical memory, and December 7th is one of them, and it's going to be a hell of a day. Uh, I'm Charlie Sykes. I'm joined by the author of Politico's Playbook, Jake Sherman. Uh, first of all, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it very much, Jake. Of course, I'm happy to do it. And, you know, uh, for some reason, Fridays have always been kind of lit in the Trump era. But today has the feeling that it's going to be an extraordinary day. We have the president starting off with a really extraordinary tweet storm about the Mueller investigation. Of course, we expect some major stories about the Mueller investigation. He names a new attorney general this morning. He names a new U.N. ambassador this morning. Uh, and we have reports that the White House chief of staff is out the door. So. Um, I don't know how that, where the hell do you begin, <laughs> Jake? Yeah, <laughs> Talking I mean, about December uh, we could, 7th. We could begin at any of those places. I mean, the the shakeup that we've been hearing about now for how many months is, is finally here. And it seems like the president, um, uh, and, you know, and this is not so strange. I mean, it's strange on the scale that it's happening. Presidents all oftentimes replace staff after an election, but this is obviously at a much bigger scale. The thing that sticks out to me um, uh, is Heather Nauert going to the United Nations. Uh, she's not does not have any traditional qualifications that we know of to be the next uh, ambassador to the United Nations. I mean, you look at people like Samantha Power, George Bush, um, uh, John Bolton, certainly a, a different backgrounds than, than now it has. So that's yeah. one. Ed, that Edley, Edley Stevenson, Jean Kirkpatrick, Eleanor Roosevelt. Right. <laughs> right. A little bit different uh, than Heather Nauert, who has been at the state department serving quite ably. A lot of people think that I talked to there as a, as a press uh, secretary. And before that, a Fox news um, contributor. So a little bit and a Fox news anchor. So a little bit uh, different of a background. And of course, uh, uh, Trump's new attorney general pick, William Barr, is uh, somebody who we expect will get through the Senate quite easily. I mean, uh, I can't imagine any Republican at this moment voting against him uh, unless there's something I, I'm missing it right now. No, let's let, let start right there, because it, it, it is a rather extraordinary pick going back to George H.W. Bush's uh, attorney general, somebody with uh, long and broad respect within the uh, conservative legal community, actually within the legal community as a, as a whole. Uh, it is an interesting choice. He, he will be confirmed. But on the other hand, I'm trying to get in in his head why he would accept this job today on all days and why the president would decide to go with him. Uh, cl clearly, he's an upgrade from uh, Matt Whitaker. But th there's a certain amount of risk, isn't there, for Trump appointing somebody like Bill Barr? Because Bill Barr, he's already been attorney general. He's probably making more money than God right now in the, in the private sector. And um, he may be all out of uh, bleeps to give if, if, if he is pushed too far. Do you follow what I'm saying? That he That he may be a Trump supporter... But there, this is clearly a guy who will have red lines and, uh, you know, is, is, is not simply, I mean, he's not Judge Jeanine who's going to do whatever Trump wants. No, but I think you also have to remember that Trump is listening, or at least we think he's listening from what we understand to people like Lindsey Graham and uh, other people in the Senate who say, listen, one of the prerequisites to get somebody through the Senate as attorney general is if the, that person 
does not interfere with the Mueller investigation, although it might be a moot point because the Mueller investigation might be coming to a close at some point in the near future. Now, I do think that um, of, I think he obviously wants a supporter. He doesn't want a messy confirmation fight. Okay. It's tough to get into his mind and to think about what Trump thinks about uh, uh, the Mueller probe and vis-a-vis his attorney general. But uh, it, it, when you when you put it that way, it is a, it is a, you, you have to kind of wonder what he is thinking about. I completely agree with you about that. Yeah, and the, and of course, to the extent that Twitter is a it was a window into his mind. Um, and by the way, by the time you know this podcast is is out, people may know a lot more about what uh, what Bob Mueller is going to be dropping today with the with the with the sentencing memos, and, you know, the un, the redactions and all. Um, but I, I think a lot of people looked at the president's tweet storm as an indication that this is very much on his mind, and he certainly sounds like a man who is worried about all of this. And we had a report earlier this week, I think from the Atlantic, that uh, suggested that the White House was really not geared up to be able to handle uh, some of the things that are coming their way, that they don't really have a game plan. So that, again, raises the question, does Bill Barr actually know what he's walking into today? I'm not sure he does, but I, and that, that report, very good report in the Atlantic by Elena Plot, um, really hit the nail on the head of something that I've seen uh, time and time again with this White House, which is they aren't really looking around the corner. There is no game plan. And, and even on something, this is just something top of mind for me at this moment, but they're looking to pass a major trade deal through Congress. And I don't see, I was here obviously a couple of years ago when the Obama administration passed the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Um, that was a months long effort that involved outside coalitions, government coalitions, uh, Republicans, Democrats, some Democrats, all pushing toward this agreement and the white I've not seen any of that so far. And I do kind of get mm. the sense that of course, this is a white house that does kind of, um, uh, they do kind of play things by year uh, in a lot of ways. And I've seen that many times and I'm writing a book right now that comes out in April about, uh, Trump, uh, Congress of the era of Trump. And I, I know mm. from my reporting that, um, much of the things that are successful in this in during these last two years have been national um, congressional uh, uh, matters, things that have been handled by the legislative branch, not by the executive branch. The the um, we, we might as well not speculate about what's going to be happening with uh, the chief of staff's office. You had an item in the playbook that really jumped out at me, and maybe it's not the top story of the day, but I think it may be an indication of what 2019 is going to look like, that uh, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer uh, is saying in the Washington Post that there will be no deal on infrastructure without addressing climate change. And of course, one of the questions would be, you know, is there some room for a grand bargain with the Democrats? You know, it, we, will, will Donald Trump call in the Democrats and say, you know what, um, let's go ahead with this uh, big infrastructure package. I, I need a win and uh, I'll, I'll sign whatever, you know, you give me. Uh, Schumer certainly seems to be signaling that these kind of compromises are not going to come easily. Yeah, I, I, I'm very skeptical for for any number of reasons, and I'll I'll tick them off here for you. Number one, the, the, the kind of the paradox about Donald Trump is, and, and this is just a, a, a disclaimer. The paradox to me, in my and I've I have spoken to the president. He has sat down with us for our book, mm. um, and I'm I don't, I, I'm bound by um, I'm bound by. Uh, uh, confidentiality because we've kind of interviewed a lot of people under the um, guise that uh, it won't come out until the book comes out. That's how a lot of these books work. And that's something that I'm going to honor. Um, but the, one of the paradoxes that we see in, in public about Donald Trump 
is that he oftentimes says he believes in policies that he's that he then reverses himself on moments later. He said he wanted to do a big deal for dreamers. And then literally in the same conversation around the table with Democrats and Republicans, he said the opposite. He said he wants stringent gun control and then he doesn't do it or, or says the opposite. So I, I just want to say that as a caveat. Now, the reasons I believe a grand bargain of that sort is going to be tough is uh, so many reasons. Number one, House Democrats, the House Democrats that have come into Congress, there's a gaggle, a big pocket of Democrats who want no cooperation with this president um, and are not going to let their leadership cut deals, not going to let Nancy Pelosi even put a bill on the floor uh, uh, to give Trump a win on something this big for policy reasons and political reasons. Number two, uh, and when you talk about a green deal or a green infrastructure package, a lot of Republicans are going to say, hey, wait a minute, didn't we do that in 2009, 2010? Isn't that how we got Solyndra and all the crony capitalism that Republicans have been traditionally against? Mm -hmm. Now, listen, mm -hmm. Republicans could reverse themselves. We've seen that many times during this administration. I just think Mitch McConnell is, uh, again, someone that I've spent a lot of time with, a lot of time thinking about, somebody who's very... Uh, uh, savvy to these to, to the mood in his in his, in his conference, and we'll be able to read it quite quickly. I just think that, and, and also we have to remember the president has has expressed ire about the idea of congressional investigation. So is he going to be able to sit down with Nancy Pelosi as House Democrats are, are throwing subpoenas his way? I, I'm just very skeptical on all these fronts. Not saying it's not going to happen. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen, but based on the available evidence. <laughs> we we should be skeptical at least. Uh, you know that 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 is interesting, and I wasn't going to ask you about this, but it it, it raises the question about uh, the you know given that today is going to be a big day for for Bob Mueller, um, Nancy Pelosi, I think, has been very very uh, prudent and very cautious in using the I word, talking about impeachment. Um, you know, a lot of downsides for the Democrats to go ahead with with any sort of an impeachment effort in you know uh, next next year, but. You know, your, your your analysis raises the question, will they be able to resist the pressure from the grassroots? You know, even even if they're yes, saying, and, don't, don't do it, don't do it. It's sort of like, you know, I don't know if you have this experience, don't tweet, don't tweet, don't tweet, but then you have to do it. Um, you know, don't impeach, don't impeach, don't impeach. Oh, we have to do it. Yeah, I think there is that, obviously, that there's going to be that, that temptation. I think that's, it would be naive to say that there won't be. That said, uh, Nancy Pelosi has been prudent. There's no question about that. But she's also set a quite low bar when you think about it. And I'll, say, I'll tell you why. Nancy Pelosi has said impeachment needs to be bipartisan. Now, if the Mueller investigation is, um, uh, I don't know what it's going to say, but if the report comes up with some obstruction of justice charge or something like witness tampering, I mean, who knows what it's going to come up with. Uh, Pelosi's could say, there's going to be Republicans who are, who are thinking back to 2018 and saying to themselves, well, we need to do something to insulate ourselves from this. And maybe that thing is calling for impeachment. Mm. Um, so all, all you need for bipartisanship is one Republican who says, yeah, we should do it. So I don't think it's that high of a bar given where Republicans are right now. And I've talked to Republicans many times about how they will comport themselves in the new in the new uh, uh, political situation that they have, and and they say, listen, there are going to be times we're not going to be able to be with the president anymore, and that's just the reality of this. And and forget impeachment for a second, but when, yeah, when people okay, when people come up to Capitol Hill and they have investigations and they have and they're put under oath, 
there's guaranteed to be some embarrassments. And I just don't think Republicans are going to stick together to the extent they did la- uh, during the last two years. That is that is really fascinating. Um, we, of course, had the jobs numbers out this morning as well, which are not terrible, but they look like they're soft. And, you know, you have to overlay the economy on top of all of the other things that we're talking about here, that that a, a Trump administration in uh, in 2019 that faces that, that no longer is buoyed by a strong economy, plus uh, the Mueller investigation, plus the hostile uh, house. Uh, this is going to be a very, very challenging period of, of of time for them. Oh, by the way, you had an interesting tweet, and I, I think I think it was a, uh, I think you retweeted Jonathan Martin, who made I I thought it was an important point to to, to mention. The Democrats have now reached uh, at least forty seat uh, gain in the House of Representatives, and 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 yet. Um, the, the the way the media covers uh, covers these these things, there's sort of an anti-house bias because you know it's it's so much sexier to talk about the Senate elections, the big names, the governor's elections, and and the, covering the house is really just sort of like adding up numbers. So there 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 really is kind of an imbalance in the way that we have uh, that we've looked at the midterm elections, isn't there? Yeah, there is. There's a, I mean, God, you're talking to probably the biggest booster of the House of Representatives <laughs> in the Washington press corps. I, I love the House. It's where I spend most of my time. It's, I think, the most interesting story in the world. Um, uh, maybe not in the world, but at least in Washington. Now, I think there are a few things. The House is the is closest to gauging the mood of the electorate. Now, I know I'm going to get killed for saying that because districts are drawn, districts are gerrymandered, but on the whole, and when you, when you look at a 40-seat pickup for Democrats, who, by the way, most independent analysts say are behind the eight ball when it comes to the House map due to mm-hmm. the state houses that have been controlled by Republicans for a long time, this is a historic defeat for Republicans. Historic. I mean, you can look at any metric. California Republicans, the California Republican delegation, as you know, which for a long time, very big strongholds of the Republican Party in California, despite the state's overall leaning, down to six seats in California. Kevin McCarthy's uh, home state, the House Minority Leader, coming up in 2019. I mean, Republicans lost in deep red Oklahoma. They lost mm-hmm. in uh, uh, states like Georgia. I mean, if you want to, if, if, if we want to ignore this, we, I mean, that's fine as a, as a kind of a broad political culture, but it is one of the strangest things that I've ever seen that you could look at this election and say, man, this was a good election for Republicans. I don't, I don't understand that. Uh, I, is I, anyone, I, it, is, it really is, befuddles me. Is anyone in the House GOP caucus saying that? I mean, I've, I've well, seen John, stories that basically say that they're, that they're not planning any adjustments. They don't really have any plan. There's no pivot coming. What are they saying? Well, I mean, listen, Jonathan Martin in, in his story last, uh, I believe, Saturday, Sunday or Monday, I can't remember what day in The New York Times uh, on the front page, basically laid it out. I mean, they are not talking about a course correction. In fact, they're deciding that they're going to fight for a border wall with Mexico. Um, and we saw in the election yeah. that uh, uh, voters in m- many places were not interested in that. They weren't interested in a militarized southern border, having a bigger border presence, uh, a bigger military presence at the border with Mexico than we do in some countries in the Middle East. Um, not interested in that as a broad, a broad thing. Now, the Republicans were at their electoral best. If you, I've been covering Republicans, House Republicans since 2009. They were at their electoral best when John Boehner and Eric Cantor both smart men but flawed politicians to say the least, we're talking about wrangling an out-of-control government and getting it right-sized and putting more money in people's pockets and, and 
cleaning up kind of the the cesspool that is Washington. Now, listen, Democrats ran on a similar message, but Republicans' message has gotten confused over the last decade or so, and and that's what you're seeing now. You're seeing the results of that. Now, I know you, uh, you, you do focus on the House of Representatives, uh, but uh, the Senate looks like it's set to uh, really hand the White House a defeat uh, on the on the issue of Saudi Arabia after the Khashoggi murder. And of course, uh, we've we've had this uh, the this endless series of questions. When are Republicans going to stand up to uh, this White House? When are Republicans going to go their own way? Um, is it too much to read into what's about to happen in the Senate? And you tell me if I'm wrong that nothing's going to happen in the Senate. Um, that this really is a, a, a kind of a jailbreak among at least some Senate Republicans who say, okay, there is a line and um, the, the White House has crossed that line and we are going to push back hard on Saudi Arabia. I think it's a symbolic measure. I think if, the, if, if Congress wanted to move quickly to slap sanctions on Saudi Arabia and do uh, take really big measures. They could do that in the, in a, in a heartbeat. And it, it, the president would uh, have his veto overridden if he vetoed it. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, in my view, this is my view. I can't, I, I haven't done a whip count. I did. That's my gut. I mean, we saw back in, I don't remember the year, but uh, there was a tit for tat when John Boehner was speaker, when they, when they, at, when Russia added him to their sanctions list or their ban list from Russia, Congress moved very quickly to, take punitive action, take very strong actions against Russia. You're not seeing that here. Um, You're not. It does seem like more of a slap on the wrist. Um, Interesting. But listen, it is notable that uh, you have the president's allies like Lindsey Graham coming out and saying, you know, this is this is obscene. I mean, we shouldn't have to tell our allies that they shouldn't be chopping up journalists and consulates. That's not something that we should have to tell our allies. So I, I think it is it is notable, but we've seen it before. And also we're seeing the Senate defy the president when it comes to criminal justice reform, yes. which the president has pushed, in my view, modestly for, not very hard. Uh, some people have pushed hard for it. He's not one of them. And Mitch McConnell says, listen, I'm not we're not doing it. We're split on it and we're going to move on and talk to you next year. Kind of is kind of the message. And uh, so you're seeing that on, on two fronts. That, that, now that's a very interesting story because it it certainly there are, there are supporters of that criminal justice reform bill who think that they have a you know very very strong majority bipartisan majority for that bill. So why is McConnell not letting it come up for a a vote? Part of in my view, uh, part of the role of a party leader, and McConnell McConnell certainly believes this. Part of the role of a, par- a role of a party leader is not only to do th- is is to keep his members together and not cause rifts between his, between his uh, uh, troops. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's easy to say that there's a bipartisan majority in the Senate, Democrats and Republicans, for this bill. Um, but that's not McConnell's only job. His, his job is to his job is not to do things that, uh, in the, this would be his view and other people's view, is he's a party leader. He's not representative of the entire body. He is under no obligation uh, although it sounds nice in the West Wing, but he's under no obligation yeah. to bring up bills that that don't have the support of, of all of his members or close to most of his members. Yeah, no, it's, it's been a fascinating. It's been fascinating to watch the the political alignment. So since I have you today, and uh, with, without giving away uh, too much from your book, which is coming out in in April, uh, writing about the, the the House in a in the next five minutes. Give me your sense of how Paul Ryan is going to be remembered by history. 
You know, Ryan previously said recently that uh, the history was going to be very kind of the Republican majority, and he got dragged for that a lot on Twitter. So, Jake Sherman, what 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 is your take on on what will history's verdict be on on Paul Ryan's tenure as Speaker? We need more than five minutes for that. <laughs> I, I have a lot. Of that. I have a lot of thoughts about that, as I'm sure you definitely do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I've covered the entirety of his speakership, and and for six years now, I've been covering him pretty pretty closely. Now, listen, the uh, without giving away too much, I think Paul Ryan after. People tend to forget that in 2016 and 2017, there, there, sorry, 2015 and 2016, there was no bigger anti-Trump person than Paul Ryan. Yeah. There was not. Uh, I mean, he was the most, uh, the most vocal anti-Trump person. Remember, got his members on a conference call days before the election day, and said, "I wasn't. Gonna, he, I'm not going to support. I'm not going to defend Trump, and neither should you if you don't feel comfortable." Mm-hmm. Um, didn't appear with him, uninvited him to Wisconsin to the, his uh, fall fest, which he's been yeah. putting on for many years with, um, with Reince Priebus. Yeah, I remember uh, that well. And, <laughs> yeah, and a lot of people don't. Uh, and I'm not defending the speaker, who I, I think, again, like most men and political leaders, is a flawed person and has has made mistakes that he would admit to. But I think he felt at the end of the day that he lost the argument. And mm-hmm. um, uh after election day came, I think he felt like he, uh, uh, the, the, the voters spoke and he had two choices, which was to, um, to leave or to get on board. And I think, listen, I think the story is more complicated than we could get into and then sound bikes will get into. And I mm-hmm. think, I hope to do it some justice in, in, in our book. I, I think the, um, I, I just think that there are things that have happened behind the scenes that where Ryan and McConnell particularly have tempered Trump on, on military matters, on, on trade matters that we'll never see and we'll never understand. And it's hard to disprove a negative, but that's one thing. I think that, I think that we don't know what it would have looked like right. if Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell weren't around. Uh, and that's, 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 that's always the, yeah, that's always the interesting question. And, um, and, and, and I, and I do think it's fair to put that into the verdict as well. Um, you know, what, what, what in fact uh, that, uh, that, that unknown alternative universe would be, I didn't mean to put you on the spot for five minutes. One one more thought, sorry to interrupt. There are things that we could say that we know that Paul Ryan has said he has stood for, for decades that he has not followed up on. Uh, he has basically thrown caution to the wind when it comes to the deficit, which is is remarkable. It is remarkable to me too. Um, and by the way, he's not the only guilty one. A lot of uh, this House Republican majority stood for deficits and debts and cu- cutting them back when Barack Obama was in office and then ignored it when Donald Trump was in office. Shameful. It's sh- it is shameful. Not even it's not shameful that they that they threw caution to the wind, but it's shameful that they had said they were for something and then they've abandoned it when it was politically expedient. Number two, entitlements. We haven't heard a peep out of uh, out of Paul Ryan about entitlements. Uh, we, I guess we've heard a little bit, but the president shot him down. So the, all of the things that, that that Paul Ryan said he would use in all Republican Washington to do, he has not done. He did tax reform. Yeah. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. That was a lifelong goal. Mm-hmm. But there are many other things that the speaker has completely abandoned uh, over the last two years. Yeah, and that, I mean, I, I do think that Paul Ryan is a fundamentally decent man. I agree with you there. I mean, disagree yeah. with some of the choices. But uh, on on that, and I've I've said this before, I probably had a hundred interviews with Paul Ryan talking about the the danger of the national debt and the deficit and the importance of doing it. His entire career was really formed around dealing with those issues, and it is 
just the, the the word ironic is 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 worn out, but it is so ironic to watch him leaving the speakership, uh, you know, with the prospect of trillion dollar a year deficits. That that really is one yep. of those you know head snapping moments. Jake, thanks so much for joining me. I know you're gonna have a very very busy Friday. Um, it's gonna be an extraordinary day. Uh, which we'll be talking about next week. And thank you for listening to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll do this. uh, We'll be back on Monday, and we'll do this all over again.